Let us pray. Holy God, send your spirit to us in this time and in this place to hear your word, and to follow Jesus in the paths of justice, healing, and peace. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Hear this story from Scripture. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in the days of the first century church, when Peter and John left Jerusalem to visit the newly forming church in Samaria, big shifts had already occurred. Jerusalem had been the epicenter of this work birthed when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The Jerusalem church was the mothership. But hard times came, and according to Acts, eventually rounds and rounds of persecution of the believers at that time took their toll. It tells the story of Stephen and his martyrdom. It tells how Saul dragged members of the early church off to prison. And it was in that context that the church began to disperse. Except for the 12 apostles, everyone else in the Jerusalem church scattered to the countryside of Judea and then beyond to Samaria and more. But according to Acts, that didn't stop the church's existence. It changed it, yes, but it certainly did not stop its witness to God's saving power. The church moved out just as Jesus had instructed it to and carried with it the good news of the Messiah to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Wherever the early church church members went, they spoke and they lived their message. And Acts says, the word took hold. It took hold even among the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, they were the ones who were historically rivals. Because even though they worshipped the same God, according to those in Jerusalem, they worshipped at the wrong temple on the wrong mountain. They were, as one writer described, deficient in their practices and beliefs. You might remember in the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan was surprising to Jesus' disciples because the Samaritans were considered defiled. And in the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus speaking with the woman at the well was shocking in part because she was from Samaria. 
So it seems to me that for those in Samaria to receive that good news coming out of Jerusalem, this time without any skepticism, and instead with joy, it would be almost as shocking as Bill's fans taking the word of the Patriots as gospel. <laughs> or Mac users suddenly converting to PCs. iPhone devotees switching to Android. Android, or even Rochester's Eastsiders defecting to the West Side. Now, in the earlier part of chapter 8 that we did not read this morning, we learn that Philip was one of those who brought the message of the early church. And in response to what he proclaimed and the miraculous deeds that he performed, the good news of Jesus as Messiah took hold in an entirely new place. It took hold among people like the notorious magician Simon. It took hold among historic rivals, erasing old enemy lines and leading scores of new followers to be baptized. It took hold enough for word about what was happening in Samaria to get back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Could it be true? Would God actually cross those historic divisions and color outside the lines that had been so carefully drawn? Peter and John had to come and see what all the fuss was about. Now, all of this makes me wonder just what posture it was that Philip took when he went to Samaria in the first place. As he shared that good news and baptized new followers, I wonder how he approached its people in a way that enabled him enabled them to receive his message. Sometimes scripture is sparse on these details, as it is in this case, and it is maddening. So we're left to wonder what kind of connections he made with them, what kind of rapport he established. Did he do his homework ahead of time? Were there different cultural norms that he needed to be aware of or social conventions that he had to brush up on? If you've done any traveling in different parts of the world or even different parts of this country for that matter, you know that you're well advised to make sure that you don't do something foolish or offensive. Before my husband Brad and I and our kids went to live in Southeast Asia, we learned a number of important things in order to navigate that culture. We learned not to pat a child on his or her head. It was not good manners. Never point with your index finger. Only point with your whole hand. Or if you're handing money to a clerk in a store or a business card to a colleague, never give it with only one hand. Always present it with two hands. And don't just stick that business card you just received into your pocket. Make sure you scan it with intention and show that you notice the details that are on it. It was important that we become culturally competent in order to build the relationships needed for our new life there. 
our Third Church Kenya travel team that's beginning to meet and plan our visit to our partner Kahumo congregation this fall is beginning to ask those kind of questions. And if you had a chance to listen to Lou Logi at last week's Sunday seminar, you might have heard how members of our RAIN team go through training to learn how to best be in ministry to the families without homes. What's helpful to say and what's not? What are good questions? And what are inappropriate and intrusive? We're going to ask those questions with our team of youth and adults that's traveling to the Gulf Coast in southeast Texas next month to help with long-term hurricane recovery. How can we prepare ourselves to be open and responsive to those who have suffered devastating losses of their homes or their businesses? And we ask those questions as we do ministry in our own city. What does it take to become culturally competent here in Rochester where race and class and cultural differences are as stark as ever? It needs to be more than a buzzword. We have critical work to do in order to first understand ourselves and how our own biases, our own worldviews, and our own assumptions might differ from others and even cause harm if we're not attuned to them. We need to understand how others' experiences of trauma, of inequality, and segregation shape who they are. It matters from an ethical and a humanitarian perspective. And for Christians, it matters from a faith perspective. For it's part of what our baptism calls us to do. Just as in baptism, it is the Holy Spirit that brings us together. Daniel Migliori says that baptism is a sacrament of solidarity. The sacrament of God's solidarity with the world. The sacrament of human solidarity in Christ with each other. And the sacrament of human solidarity with the whole groaning creation. You see, the Spirit's work in baptism always moves to break down barriers, to erase the dividing lines that are etched in permanent ink. The Spirit's impulse in baptism always moves to bring us together, to create new community where before there were strangers and enemies, or at the very least, people who are suspicious or skeptical of one another. In these days of intractable division at a national level, I wish we knew what that meant. I wish we knew what would change it once for all. I think we have a lot of listening ahead of us. But we do know what it means in our daily individual lives, whether breaking out of those cliques at school or even in church, befriending people outside of our social or professional class, staying in touch with that family member who sees the world oh so differently than we do. And if we're white, 
building more genuine relationships with people of color. We're in a city as segregated as ours is, we have got to work harder at that. And in church life, in this, the 21st century, Israel Kamenzandu suggests this text invites us to think cross-culturally. I'm really grateful to Melanie Jones, our Third Church Arts and Enrichment Director, for her leadership in bringing opportunities and volunteers out to the underserved children that live in Wilson Commencement Park. You may not know this, but whether in the after-school program or in the summer sizzle program, she is working with others to bring people and enrichment activities that connect with the native cultures of the children so that they can understand and learn from that experience more readily. It is a great model of faithful ministry. And it's a perspective I hope that we can increasingly take as the Spirit leads us forward. For in an article published just a couple of days ago in the Religion News Service, Wesley Granberg Michelson pointed out the shifts that are happening in Christianity. The world is becoming more religious, yes, more religious, not less, but that growth is happening in Africa and in the Global South. He says that Western expressions of Christianity that have been shaped by post-enlightenment European culture are on the decline. And where growth is happening among American Christians, he says it's happening among non-whites. And that future expressions of Christian faith will be shaped by its interactions with non-Western and non-white cultures, which will present challenges. Now those are generalities, of course. Who knows how those trends will play out here, where we are? And yet our baptismal call implores us to pay attention, to adopt a posture of solidarity and relationship, even as we cross the boundaries of who and what we know to who and what we don't know whether it's across racial and economic divides, or educational divides, or religious divides, or even the digital divide. And we don't do it alone. For just as the Holy Spirit animated the lives of those baptized into the early church, when Peter and John lay their hands on them, so the Spirit does for us. In the words of Migliori, the spirit spans the gap between the then and there and the here and now. We do well to remember that in the days of the early church, God's good news could not be contained and the work of the spirit could not be quenched despite the religious opposition of the day, despite the scattering of the church, despite new forms, it took hold and it spread through the faithfulness of God's people and through the sacrament of God's solidarity with the world. So with the confidence 
that God will do again what God has done before. Like the early church, may we also embrace that call to bear witness to the radically inclusive love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord across every difference that would otherwise separate. Amen.